Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken. We are back on Amazing Business Radio with another episode and back in the house this time around, I believe for the third time, is my good friend and author, Joseph Michelli, PhD. Talk about him in just a moment. But before we get started, if you've got a question or you want to share a story about customer service and experience, you can go on all the social media channels. And if you have a question, make sure you use the hashtag AskShep. Otherwise, just post it there. I promise I will see it. I'll either address it right then and there, maybe on this show or perhaps on my TV show, Be Amazing or Go Home, which can be found on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Roku. And now we have many of the episodes up on YouTube. And all you need to do is go to beamazing.tv and you can watch some of those episodes. But now my friend, Joseph Michelli, this guy is the dude. He is considered one of the top experts in the world of customer service and experience. He's considered one of the global gurus. Uh, this is the guy. And I, I thought I was a global guru, but no, it's Joseph Michelli who is. He has written books about Airbnb, Starbucks, Zappos, Mercedes-Benz, the Ritz-Carlton, and he has a brand new book. And this book it's a little departure from what he usually does, but he's doing it in the same way and that he has gone out and he's interviewed world-class leaders about their pandemic-tested lessons on how they thrive and survive in perhaps one of the toughest times ever in business. The book is titled Stronger Through Adversity, and we've got Joseph Michelli, the author, in the house today. Hello. I was just thinking, you're my guru of customer service. So I don't care what any global people say. I mean, all right, now, now you're sucking up to me. That's... No, I need to suck up to you. I don't think people know. I mean, first off, when you say you're going to answer those things, you're going to answer them. You are the most responsive person in our field. And second, I don't think people will ever know, given how big your thought leadership brain is, how big your heart is, which eclipses that brain. Uh, wow. Well, thank you so, so thank much. You I, I truly appreciate that. Thank you. Aw, shucks. Aww. <laughs> oh, man. Well, so this book is different. And I know that you said we'll tie it into customer service and experience. And we can. But as I read through the description of the book and the book comes out, I believe, uh, on, uh, is it Tuesday, December 22nd? Is that right? Yeah. Which is the yeah. day that this show is airing, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, if you're, yeah, what a coincidence. Magic. Magic. <laughs> it is. Uh, but uh, give us some insight into what this book is about. So Shep, you and I have different lanes in the same industry and customer experience. I think if you want to learn how to affect customer success through training, Shep Hyken is the man, whether that's keynotes or training. I end up spending most of my time actually in C-suites working with senior leaders on strategy. That's the, the lane I swim in most of the time. And so I was doing that for Godiva for a long time. And we're about to do a book on them in 2020. I have a like contract the chocolate to do company? That. Yeah, the chocolate company. And I was ready to do that. And then about February, I got a message that said, we, you can't come to the plant tour here in Pennsylvania because we're using an abundance of caution and we don't want you here at our plant. <laughs> and then it just went downhill from there. Uh, you know, I'd worked with Annie Young Scribner when she was over at Starbucks and she came over to Godiva opening all these cafes, Godiva cafes for great mocha going head to head against Starbucks. And it was clear they were shutting down. They were not 
going to be able to do a book this year. So I pivoted quickly because I was on a bunch of task forces uh, for customer experience teams and senior leadership teams. And as I was watching leaders try to figure out what to do in the early days, it was clear they were, you know, they were diametrical opposites out there. Some were participatory, some were impulsive. So I just started asking them, how are you trying to even approach this? And, uh, and as they start sharing their stories and their angst and their mistakes and their, their fear, I uh, was introduced to more and more of them and 140 senior leaders later, the likes of which are Brian Cornell, CEO of Target or Michelle Gass, CEO of Kohl's or you know, Hans Vestberg, CEO of Verizon. Those types of folks were spending time with me telling me how they were approaching leading in a pandemic. And it didn't take, mama didn't raise no fool. I decided we better collect all those acorns, put them in a bushel basket and put them in a book. And McGraw-Hill expedited the delivery and here we are. I would say from, and, and boy, you didn't know you were doing this until at least after March 13th. <laughs> okay. That's the exact truth. Amen. And Hallelujah. So here we are maybe nine months later, about the time it takes to uh, fully come to term as a baby. Uh, your baby is going to be born December 22nd. That's one of the fastest turnarounds for a major publisher, just a sidebar. So You've done some serious name dropping just now. Yeah. With the Shep Hyken, Shep Hyken, Shep No, 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 no. Oh, oh sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm talking about your 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 leaders that you've done business. So how many people did you interview for this book? So 140, and they, they came from all kinds of industries, you know, presidents of Marriott, presidents of Microsoft, SVPs of communication at Southwest or Google. It was really a crazy ride. I think people had a little more time on their hands in the sense that you could access them. Yeah. They were totally swamped, but they also needed a breath to process. And I think it, it was cathartic. You know, my training is as a clinical psychologist, and I, I think I was half uh, providing therapy and half just sucking up so much of the wisdom uh, that they were sharing as they were processing through this. So, I, you know, my first... Uh, if I were looking at the book and I realized the book doesn't come out for, you know, I'm not seeing a copy of this book as we're recording this show, which is just a, a few weeks in advance of the book. But if I were looking at this book, the first thing I would be doing is going, okay, what are the half a dozen nuggets that I want to share with this audience? So could you just kind of give us a few pearls of wisdom? I'll give you one, uh, right? Going into just one? what could be a break. I'm not going <laughs> to give you though. No, here's one. Uh, well, you can decide how many more nuggets you want to mine for, but um, here's one. Uh, leaders basically taught me that you have to lead like a horse herd. Is that good enough? Oh, you lead want more? I can like, tell. I, I look at that lead like a horse herd. That's okay. So we're just going to, you know, tweet that. Oh. <laughs> no, I think maybe we can leave it alone. Right, Let's go. see what so happens. In a horse herd, rightfully so, the female alpha mare is out front, right? Rightfully so. And she's setting the vision and she's setting the course. And then there's a bunch of leaders in the pack. There are horses in the pack that are true leaders that shape herd behavior, make sure they don't get too wide. And then the alpha male rightfully is in the back of the herd. Uh, and he's kind of nudging the, the pace of, of the, the herd moving forward. The interesting thing for me is that when I talked to leaders throughout the pandemic, they said they were moving front, middle, back more than they've ever had to before. Sometimes they had to be out front and they had to be inspiring and saying, we're taking this hill, please join me. Sometimes they had to drop back. Like Michelle Gass told me, she had to be there when Kohl's reopened its stores because she didn't want to have her people doing things that she wasn't willing to do. So and she actually went were... to the store. Yeah. And absolutely. she worked in the stock room. She worked the floor merchandising. 
I wasn't quite there to see the merchandising, but she was definitely physically present with them in the retail space, working the store. And I think that there were other times that leaders had to just shut up and not talk first, talk last in meetings and say to their teams, look, I wanted to jump in and interject and tell you what to do. But right now, I trust that you're closer to the customers. I clo- I'm tr- you're closer to the needs of the people we're solving for. I'm going to step back, let you lead, get, remove the roadblocks, keep you nudging forward. And that's got to be my job. But you had to have this fluidity of leadership style to a greater degree than you, you could get fixated into some kind of preferred style prior to the pandemic. I would imagine there was some level of trust that these leaders had to have in their people that they had never been forced to give up and accept before. I think it was necessity, you know, truly there were times where we couldn't do it the old way where we triple checked and had another committee meeting, right? We didn't have time for that. And at the same time, if if you miscalculated what you were trusting, you could divert off of a cliff. So this was about a trust in yourself in part that you had chosen the right people, and now is the time to step back and let them shine. Wow, wow. Scary times become opportunities to really shine. Uh, when you could tweet happens. that. That you could tweet. There you go. That sort of thing. <laughs> so, yeah, that one I just kind of talked about. But my favorite that I didn't talk about was, you know what? You have to have darkness to see the, sh- to see the stars shining. Or yeah. something. <laughs> All right. That could use a little bit more tweaking in the 140 characters, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I get it. The book is titled Stronger Through Adversity. World-class leaders share pandemic-tested lessons on thriving during the toughest challenges. And I would say uh, this past seven months or so have created tremendous challenges. Um, and I know we're going to take a break in a moment. But when we come back, what I want to talk about is how some companies have truly thrived during this time. And it's not the companies that you would expect to have done so. And I'll bet you have some insights on that. Yes, you do. I've got a thumbs up. We're coming right back in just a moment. Don't go away. This is Amazing Business Radio. Are you ready to be amazing? Of course you are. And that's why you tune into Amazing Business Radio. If you like what you're hearing here, you're going to love my new TV show, Be Amazing or Go Home. Each episode is devoted to sharing ideas to help you be amazing in both your business and personal lives. We also feature an app or technology every week that you're going to find fascinating. And we always have at least two guests on the show. The show is now available on Amazon Prime, Roku, C-Suite TV, and more. So the choice is yours. Be amazing or go home. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Joseph Michelli, PhD, author of Stronger Through Adversity. You can go on Amazon right now today and get the book. And I urge you to do so because this is what you need as you head into 2021. If you're a leader of any kind, a manager, somebody that wants to be able to help their people be more successful, this is the book for you. All right. So as we were coming out of the break, um, I had an idea. I had uh, like, this is what I want to talk about next. Do I Uh need to repeat that? No, I got the idea. (laughs) I'm fully fully aware. I still have some of my senses. Yeah. Yeah, so I can tell you, here's a brand that you've never heard of. Well, I doubt you've heard of. They're Sunny's Barbecue Restaurants. They're out of the South. They have about 100 restaurants in the chain. 
And this brand is led by a very young 30-something uh, CEO with uh, an established history. They have been around since 1967. Um, and he was just brilliant at saying, we're leveraging our technology. We've been investing in online ordering long before this. We're going to pivot immediately to curbside service. We're going to focus on convenience, like a convenience revolution. I think there's- I, I, I know that book. Yeah, wow. that'd be good if somebody could think to write that thing, uh, Chef Heiken. Um, and so he really took a page from your book and, and expedited access, ease, just phenomenally. But then he did this extra cool thing. He said, now that we have the database that tells us how many of our loyalty customers are coming into curbside service, why don't we call them? Uh, let's do something really radically old-fashioned and draconian and pick up the phone and call them. So I was on these calls as part of the task force. And here's how a call would go. I would call and I'd say, hi, it's Joseph. I'm with Sunny's Barbecue Restaurant. And uh, we just want to say thank you for coming in and doing your online ordering. How did it go? How did you feel? All of that. And then someone would normally say, wait, I don't understand. Why are you calling me? <laughs> and I would say, it's because we wanted to say thank you. And we're really grateful. And they would say, well, but I'm, I'm nobody. They hadn't had that happen before. And I said, you're not nobody. You're like, you're a part of our family. You're a customer. You're important. And then they'd start crying, Shep. Like we use technology for all of the right reasons. And then we had people in place in all of the right places and, and they would cry. And then they would say these really funny things. You would get it. They would say, well, I'll come back tomorrow. I mean, I, I will come back tomorrow. And you'd say, no, we're not here trying to drum up business for tomorrow. We're just saying thank you for yesterday. And it was just remarkable. I, I, there are so many of those stories that you just start to realize it's not all the big brands that are doing it. There's some really remarkable things happening in the small to mid-sized brands as well. Right. And in the restaurant industry, which is what Sonny's Barbecue is, that's probably one of the hardest hit industries uh, of all. And I think, you know, you use the word pivot. I'm, I'm always worried about that word now. I didn't, I used to use that word toward the beginning of the pandemic that we all must pivot, but they say when you pivot, you turn your back on something. Yeah, that's Scott McCain's line. Is that what he, is that yeah, where I got McCain that? Has used that? I think he may have gotten colleagues. it from me. Yeah, I'm sure he did. No, no. <laughs> but our buddy, Scott McCain, another fellow friend and, and customer experience expert. But that's what happens. I think uh, the idea to be flexible and try something new, but the restaurant industry specifically. So my daughter works in the restaurant industry in New York City. She works with a very famous chef named Danielle Baloud who is known across the world, famous French. I mean, the other day, there's a picture of my daughter with Danielle and Martha Stewart and look who I'm hanging out with, you know? So, but what's interesting is how do you take the five-star experience that's supposed to be so fancy and elegant on the inside and, and all of a sudden you got to move it onto the street, you know, where, yeah, where, where I, taxi cabs are driving by. And not only that, he did so many different unique things First thing he says is, I want to stay relevant. So we got involved with a charity and a food bank, and he started bringing his people in to cook food. Next, he said, okay, we can't cook food in a restaurant. Let's, you know, curbside delivery. But the curbside delivery that he was experienced were Rolls Royces and Bentleys and expensive cars driving up, chauffeur-driven cars. And the people in the back, the guests would say, I'm here to pick up my food. And then they would stay in front of the restaurant and eat it. You know, I'm, I think those still luxury is, is a, is a style of delivery. It's not predicated on a place. Uh, and, you know, I got into this when I worked with the Ritz Carlton and wrote the book about them. And, 
you know, they used to think luxury was slow, you know, luxuriating was luxury. And, you know, we had to really kind of drum into people that you could create a very elevated sensory experience without having to, you know, to make it 20 hours worth of a meal, right? It was much more about meeting the person where they were and elevating the senses. And I think to the degree that you can do that in the side of the street with visual or olfactory or anything you might do, you're still gonna to try to max that out. I should note that Sunny's is kind of at the top of the fast casual restaurant uh, numbers, even though they would be in more casual dining uh, in the sector. So they're performing you know, alongside of uh, numbers, they're throwing up numbers that pizza places are throwing up. Wow, I love that. And you know, part of what they did is they said, you know what, not only are we gonna, we can't serve in store, or in on premise. So let's be convenient, make it real easy for people to order. And uh, that, so give We me... wanted to own the arrivals and departures too, Chef. And that's something I think you know really well that not every moment in an interaction is equal. Arrivals, departures, pains and peaks, you know? And mm -hmm. so we just focused on those and executed. Yeah, sound, sound suggestions and advice. Can you give me an example of like, a company that they, there's just no way they should have survived through all of this, yet somehow their leadership knew exactly what to do to get them through? Well, I, I mean, I think almost every company no, but there's should a, you have know, survived, it's like, right? You know, I the, mean, the case study level, this, this is out thing there. Yeah. Changed the game. You know, Mike Tyson said that, you know, everybody has plenty until they get punched in the mouth and think some people took a much harder punch. One of the ones for me is Marriott working with, you know, Stephanie Leonard of Marriott, the, you know, from the beginning, they knew they were in trouble. They knew they were going to be furloughing people. She was in meetings regularly with Arnie Sorensen and, you know, with, you know, Mr. Marriott and they were taking care of their people. They were positioning the, the brand to the best degree possible. He was very outspoken very supportive of his, his people and of the customer, didn't push on people to try to get them in before they felt comfortable, but continued to say, we're gonna be here when you're ready and we're taking every precaution possible on behalf of the safety of our team and you. And you know, I, I think they're really damaged, but you know, it's a wonder that anybody in the travel industry made it. Right, right. And you know, there's in the hotel industry, so many Marriott's, if you will, or any other brand that you see is not owned by Marriott or not owned by Hyatt. They're owned by people who have like a, a dealership or franchise agreement yeah. with them. And so you may see, um, I don't know, how consistent through a system like that can you push safety and quality and health and well, they're a management company, right? And they're at the mercy of the property owner to support the financials around it. But the brand standards are what the management company sets forth. And if the owner doesn't want to comply with them, then they remove that management company and the property gets reflagged. Um, I think you can put a lot of pressure. You're hiring me as a management company to drive consistency because that brand is out on the front and that attracts a certain number of people. So, um, fundamentally, I think you have a lot of power, whether the owners ultimately pony up in times of crisis. That's really a message I think for all of us is, you know, we said so much about how customer centric we were, or, you know, how compassionate we were, how participatory or authentic leadership we were. 
the rubber hit the road, folks. And yeah. uh, our brands are all going to be known for the way we behaved in this crisis to a much greater degree than the way we behaved in calmer times. So the book Stronger Through Adversity for me was all about getting leaders to identify what was the thing they wanted to be known for in the crisis. And then how did they act to support that? And, and a lot, a lot, a lot of leaders told me that they got far more real and far more vulnerable. And I'll just give you one example. It comes from Jeff Daly, who's with Farmers Insurance, the CEO over there. And he admitted readily that when his people came to him and said, we're going to be able to reduce the rates on some of the insured because we're going to have less claims with all this decrease in driving. He said to his people, well, let's wait and see how that goes because I want to stockpile some money for the long term. Next week, USAA goes out and gives the rebate back to the auto insured. And he immediately comes out, fast, fast follows and apologizes to his team and to his entire organization, seeing a huge spike in employee engagement numbers and productivity. The message being, this was a time to accept that you weren't perfect because we wanted to be led by imperfect people trying to work with us to create a more perfect world. So he says to his team, I made a mistake. Yes. Yep. And how often do you hear the top leader of an organization? I mean, there's egos and sometimes it's the egos that get you there, but it's the real leaders that you're writing about the ones that obviously uh, when you see how long companies have done well and stay at the top. So we're almost out of time. I always ask the one thing question, which is the one last thing you want to leave us with, but I'd like to know, is there one other really great case study or nugget that we can learn from you before we uh, sign off today? Yeah, I, I talked to leaders in healthcare. I talked to leaders who were working with nurses who were holding iPads up to dying patients and family members, shaking and just wrecked. And what many of those leaders said was, I wanted to run in and hug my team, but I realized one of the most powerful things you can do as a leader is just listen. And so for me, you know, hearing how they had to listen and debrief and process human suffering at the levels that they did, it was hugely inspiring to me. And it's a constant reminder that if you're in the customer experience business, you're in the listening business. Yep. If you're in the leader business, you're in the listening business. The better you are at that, the more able you are to create solutions that change people's lives. I think the word for 2020 is empathy. Amen. And and uh, so, and that all, it only starts when you, you begin to listen at that level. I have one other phrase for you that's not quite as dire. The phrase for 2020 will be, you're on mute. Am I on mute right now? <laughs> no. no, no. <laughs> I think that'll be the phrase that we'll all on mute. recycle no. over no, no. and over again. I, no, no. Can you see my screen now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those will be what we recall. Let's hope we can find humor in this in the rearview mirror. And I think that, that we already have started to do it. You know, um, I, I'm going to wrap this up because, I mean, this is uh, December 22nd. Christmas is in three days. The, you know, all of us are celebrating holidays throughout the world, regardless of what religion we're in. And, and it's been a weird year. There's been death and destruction. Somebody asked me what I'm most thankful for. And um, I don't think I shared this with anybody other than you and now the rest of the people listening is that um, I'm thankful for COVID-19, not because of the death and destruction, but because of what it taught me. Uh, the time I get to spend with my family and, and maybe realigning what's really important. But uh, I really think that this forced me to do things and think of different ways of 
running my business and managing my people, et cetera, et cetera. There's been really, um, it's been interesting. I think it's been a time of growth. And I think a lot of people, when they look at, wow, nine months ago, I was not sure what my life was going to be and look at where I am now. And by the way, some people right now are in a really bad place. I get it. And I totally understand it. And I feel terrible. So maybe it's three months from now when they look back and they say, wow, I, I made my, I got through this. Um, I hope that they have the attitude of looking forward and seeing what they need to do to move forward and be realistically optimistic as they do so. So, yeah. And that is my hope as well. As we enter this season in a new year, the hope is that people will be stronger through adversity as opposed to beaten up by it and lesser. And that may not happen immediately for some, but in the end, I hope that's what, what comes wow. up. Looks like I set you up for that line, didn't I? Thank you, Chef. There's a softball <laughs> over the plate. The book again is called Stronger Through Adversity by Joseph A. Michelli. Thanks, man. Happy holidays to you. Let's let's make this book a huge success because everybody needs to, to read it and understand it and learn from it. Thank you, Chef. All right, everybody, that wraps it up. Another episode of Amazing Business Radio. We will be back next week. I can't wait. Until then, this is Chef Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.